right, welcome back to another episode of Just Another Bozo on your, the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack. I want to welcome you back for the new year. Um, today, I'm excited to welcome uh, my friend and colleague, Daniel Henderson, to the show. And we're going to be getting to talk to him in just a minute. Um, just a reminder of some of the things that are coming up uh, next week. Um, Todd Sylvester should be back. His book is coming out, uh, The Lemonade Stand, and uh, he's going to be on talking a little bit about that. Um, Todd was on about six, seven months ago. And then after that, we have um, a Bozo Roundtable with the uh, Bozos from Dover. And, uh, of course, that includes the pros, the pro Bozos. Um, That includes myself, uh, Corey Markusich, Brett Heiner, and uh, Dr. Robert Simpson. All right. Welcome, Daniel. Hello. Good, good, good to good to be here. Good to have you here. Thank you. Thanks okay. for having me. Thanks for the comfort, <laughs> the tea, and the recliner. Oh yeah, I should say we are actually in my living room at home, and uh, we're drinking some uh, white wild tea from China that was handpicked out of quite a large tree, and. Um, Daniel's in a recliner, so <laughs> a leather a leather recliner, leather recliner. No so we're uh, we're kind of kicking it back today, um, and uh, but anyway, this is a time for um, the listeners to get to know you and hear a little bit about your story and your life and whatever you feel you want to talk about, and uh, and of course, you know what you do now. And well, I have a series of questions I ask, and I, I know I told you I was going to send you something about that, but. It'll just kind of be a surprise. That's that's fine. Okay. All right. So where would you like to start? What, what I, well, makes I, you just another bozo on the bus? Well, actually, know? I have one quick question. Who are like who are your listeners, I guess? is <laughs> my, Who are these people? <laughs> well, many of them, I have no idea who they are. Um, but uh, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty eclectic, broad group. Um, we have people that are in recovery. We have people that... Um, you know, are just kind of exploring life that are trying to find connection. We have people that uh, are learning to, you know, explore their own personal trauma and things in life that they've had to deal with. Um, we deal with relationship issues, uh, dependency issues, you know, and we talk about, um, I mean, there's maybe sometimes there's a theme of, of survivors, you know, once mm. in a while. Okay. But we we also just bring up topics sometimes and talk about them, which probably, you know, happens from time to time, may happen today. So this is the time, though, that you can kind of share what you want about about you and yourself and what you, if, if, if you would like to, you know, let people know, again, what makes you a bozo. A bozo. Uh, I think I was born a bozo, probably. <laughs> anyway. Um, Are you Salt Lake Boy? No, I'm from Northern California. I'm from oh. the Bay Area. So I was born up in Marin County and lived there when I was little, and then moved up to Sonoma, California and lived there. I basically, I moved, I lived in Northern California in the Bay Area and then up in Sonoma, and then a, a, a va- two valleys over in a place called Green Valley. Um, Been there. Yeah. Opened up a treatment center there. That's just oh, that's right. You have you just Sonoma, north of Sebastopol there. Right? Yeah, the Sonoma Center. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. So I grew up there. My family's from there. My parents are from Oakland, and um, 
I have six brothers. I have one sister. We were a Mormon family. In Oakland. Well, yeah, my my grandfather, who was a, uh, he was, my mother's mother was from Utah, from like the Spanish Fork area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his people settled there, right, from immigrant, you know, when they immigrated over here from, you know, uh, they were, what do you call it? English. <laughs> Well, white, Think from across the pond. White people, you white, know. White Caucasians Northern from Europe- across the Yeah, pond. Northern European types. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so he was a... And then he became a dent... You know, he went to USC and became a dentist and, but, and was in the Air Force. The Air Force paid for that. And so he was then stationed in a place called King City, which is kind of by uh, Salinas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... And he, he, he was the town dentist and then like his uncle was the town doctor and they kind of did that right so the military paid for it and then you owed them and so they'd put you somewhere and you would provide that service for them you would work for them you would work for them for a few years they'd give you the education yeah and so he did that and then and then he moved and opened a practice in hayward california and then was in oakland and then my uh and so that's where my mother my mother was actually born in king city but grew up in oakland and then my dad my dad's family was from uh Bur- like on the peninsula, Burling game, um, and then they and then Oakland, and so they were from Oakland. And anyway, and then I moved to, but I I moved to Utah when I was uh, fifteen. Hmm. Went to high school here, most of high school here, right in the middle of adolescence. Yeah, how fun! I'm still. I'm still fucking pissed about that. No, I, I really, I, 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 I thought you were going to say I'm still an adolescent. Well, that too. That too. Well, I actually, I remember I had like, my parents had told us that we were moving to Utah and I had visited here because my mother had family here mm-hmm. and I, I thought, and they lived in this rural area, Janola, which is, I don't know, it's down past Payson. And it and I thought oh my, I thought we were gonna do go somewhere I had been to Salt Lake but I I anyway was not prepared to do that and I had my buddy you're out in the country <laughs> yeah my buddy I I so I was like I'm gonna live with my family you know my friend's family and my parents of course were like no you're not you're coming to Salt Lake but I moved to Salt Lake and and I started to ski here and I had grown up skiing in Tahoe but um, I started to ski here and then then it was you know that kind of made it okay. So you you survived, you know, making that that change from in the middle of adolescence from I well I did survive it, but that so that's actually when my drug use got you know started. Start, well, I smoked pot. You know, like in it seems like in Northern California, people's parents smoke pot, and so when I was ten, I smoked pot a few times. You know, ten, eleven, twelve had smoked pot. Um, but I had that 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 pot experience where the first time you use it, you don't get stoned. Uh-huh. And then I was actually at a scout camp and and uh, smoking pot with kids kids in my scout troop. And I think it was probably eleven or twelve. And uh, you were talking about Boy Scouts, right? Boy Scouts, yeah, yeah Boy yeah. Scouts, yeah. And got you know got really stoned, really like that. That sounds like a Northern California Boy Scout yeah. camp, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and it was great because it was up. You know, we go up in the Sierras. Um, I think that we were in Mendocino though, actually, for that. But it was actually Northern California is such a great place to grow up. 
Especially like when we were up in Sonoma and all that, because it's such a beautiful. It is so pretty. Up it's there. such a beautiful yeah. area, and like so, it still has it hasn't changed a whole heck of a lot up Mm-mm. in that area. Um, but anyway, so that's when I so when I moved to Utah, um, the the group of kids that I started to hang out with were pretty. Uh, they were they were more extreme than the kids I grew was growing up with in California. Uh-huh. These people were kind of outrageous, actually. I was like, wow, you guys, you know. When I moved here, everybody was drinking Robitussin. And I had never, like, heard of that. And I was like, what is, what? Go to these parties and there'd be these people, you know, all whacked well, whack well, Robitussin. The, the, the reason why something like Robitussin would be really popular here, it, it's because it's one, it's an over-the-counter drug. Right. But it's also made by a, a company, you know. Yeah. And, and it, so it has an actual it has, it has medical le- purpose. Right, it has supposedly. legitimacy. It has legitimacy, yeah. right, yeah. Right. So, uh but so that's probably when I moved here is when I started smoking pot every day, and we were doing. Uh, so I started smoke pot, and uh, and I think in my adolescence I had some conflict with my parents, but I was pretty. I was pretty obstinate, and they kind of left me alone after a while. They were kind of like, just don't come home drunk, you know, just whatever, you know. And we, so we were Mormons, right? And but I had kind of put that, I kind of like, st- when we moved here, it's such an interesting thing to move here. Mormons in Utah are different than Mormons Yeah, it was an interesting else. thing. And so I, I, that's really, I had, and in California, we, we, I was still going to like church and stuff like that. But it was very different because, you know, there was like no, like no one paid attention to what religion you were. Really. Right. And there was right. like a couple other Mormon families and you had to drive, we had to drive like a half hour to get to church or whatever. And, um, and I came here, and I was like, I, you know, I was not interested in in that, and so sure. I really stopped. And so I just I stopped going then. Well, it's definitely a different environment growing up in with only a few Mormon families. Yeah, and like you, you can't really do the thing. Well, you know, parents can't really go. Well, you know, you can't play with them because they're not, you know, LDS or something like that, right? So yeah, I didn't know <laughs> what faith other. I knew who was Mormon, of course, but I didn't really know. I mean, I knew uh, my one neighbors were Catholic because I had, they went to Catholic school and, and we used to hang out with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, I mean, I kind of knew superficially what people were mm-hmm. uh, as far as their faith. Um, but I w- it was weird. When I moved here, I was so shocked. One, I was shocked that there were so many, like, Jack Mormons here. Like, mm-hmm. so I would go to a party and people were like, oh, yeah, Mormon. I was like, because... <laughs> That was like that was unusual. Like the Mormons I knew, like California, would like really adhere to the, you know, uh, words of word, wisdom, word of wisdom yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, not me, of course, but we were, yeah. Because I remember we, I rem- we we would smoke we smoke cigarettes and chew tobacco and and like you know when we were like six or seven and we're doing stuff. So I was always into substances. Um, I still really am, basically. I mean, there's still a lot of. We're, we're drinking tea right now, yeah. so you know. <laughs> Those guys, I mean, they're less. Um, they have a, they have few negative, fewer negative side effects. True, the, the stuff yeah. I've been yeah. into now. Um, You've learned. Well, I call it the art of moderation. All things in moderation, <laughs> like a gentleman. Yeah, like a gentleman. Yeah. Right. Um, anyway, so I moved here. Oh yeah, and and the the kids I was hanging out with uh, were heavy substance abusers mm-hmm. and so we smoked pot every day we drank as much as we possibly could we dropped a lot of acid we did you know cocaine 
um, mushroom, you know, all the stuff that you do, or all the stuff that some people do in adolescence. Yeah, sure. A lot of psychedelics. And still do, by the way. Right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. There's still, um, it's, it's so interesting when I come across kids, you know, the, there was no, I mean I wasn't doing anything original and there there's still the same versions of you know the stu- you know that are going on the exact yeah. same stuff. Yeah. Smoking pot, dropping acid, you're 14. They still have a Led Zeppelin, you know, Led Zeppelin t-shirt on or whatever. <laughs> it's the same it's an archetype. Right. A, a certain adolescent archetype. Um but uh, truthfully the the adolescent part it, it, I got caught in that for you know that's like a develop, developmentally I was caught in an adolescent the um, phase the development well phase, yeah it of. was like a because uh, it was reactive so I was re, I was I was in a pretty strong reactive process for a long time mm-hmm. and even now I still you know like you know as you get older you know, I I look like a really responsible citizen now, and I, but that stuff is still internally. That stuff is still there. You know, uh-huh. like, um, and I don't mean you know like uh, the antisocial stuff that I was into, but just you know, it's like it takes a long time to grow up. Feels like yeah. Um, well, and I mean, there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of reasons for things like that. Uh, I mean, part part of it is you know. The, I mean, we, we, I don't want to overanalyze this right now, but I mean, thinking about attachment issues that, you know, that happen when we're growing up and, mm-hmm. you know, the reason why we, we seek some type of self-medication or, or connecting to certain groups of people. I mean, all those, all those people that I used with when I was growing up, I mean, they all, we all had some, some kind of reactive attachment issues going on. Right. 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 So, you know, I mean, I'm with you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And then there's sort of this this kind of shift that happens at some point um, where either, you know, things get really, really, I mean, they get worse and, you know, a lot of people die or they figure mm-hmm. out how to connect and be less reactive and right. learning how to be vulnerable and, and have actual intimate relationships with people, be able to t- attach yeah. in a healthy way. Yeah, that's the word that was came up when you were just talking is the intimacy. Yeah. The ability to have, to be intimate with people yeah which is really a task for me it's a task to be able to do that and i had you know i had six brothers and one sister where were you i was the fifth so i had four older brothers two younger brothers and a younger sister and uh you i i was pretty good at getting attention because i was i was um assertive Mm -hmm. in that way um and, but you really had to battle for things, or you had to battle to be heard. Sure. And there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of like, um, there there was a lot oftentimes where you you didn't either get you didn't you didn't get heard or you didn't get what you needed or what you wanted. And this wasn't a, like a neglect issue, but this like this when there's that many people in a household, it's it's pretty crazy. It gets things yeah. get spread thin sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Especially when it comes to getting, you know, positive reinforcement. Yeah. yeah. And my dad and my were lousy with addicts and alcoholics in my family. Everyone's kind of in recovery or using or and um my dad actually is an alcoholic and you know, I can out him cuz he's he's very open about that. Mm-hmm. I think um but he he, he was an alcoholic 
or drinking like an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. then he converted to Mormonism when he was like 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't drink for 40 years. 40? 40 years. Not in reco- not like an AA thing, you know, not no, taking got, chips no, kind would, of thing. It was, a, it was an LDS thing. It was an right? LDS right. thing. And he tried, and that was the thing. He, I think that was a reactive process. He was trying really hard. So he was like, he was a little, uh, um, I mean, he's really a strict kind of a guy about the Mormon stuff. Like he'd get, anytime the LDS prophet said something, he was like, oh, yeah, that's it. We're, we're doing... We're doing, you know, we're not doing that or we're doing this or whatever. Um, but then he, he actually started drinking um, when he was 60 and completely drank for like 10 years and it was bad. He, he so and he's, I think he's got uh, six years now, seven years of sobriety, three DUIs <laughs> as a senior. I mean, he was just like, a, you know, um, and uh, so well, that, that that's the baby boomer. I mean, I'm at the tail end of the baby right, boomer, right. so I, I get that. And you his know. brother died now. You know, he died in, in withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, you know, and anyway, and his dad was an alcoholic. And then, my, you know, both sides. So the, the genetic part is there. And then, you know, my brothers, not to out them too much, but everyone has had some kind of. We tease my mother, who's an Al-Anon. You know, you really like addicts and alcoholics, don't you? You're surrounded yeah. You're by them. Really attracted to them, Mom. Yeah. What is it about addicts and yeah. alcoholics that, like, you know, rings your bell? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but so in my using stuff, so I, uh, I think, I always feel like it was typical, but I, as I, as I like, you know, talk to people. The stuff we were doing was not very typical. It was really fucking dangerous. Well, it's all relative to yeah, the, right. the, your crowd or the crew right. you hang out with, yeah. right? I mean, that's what determines what's yeah. normal. Right? So the fact that we were doing cocaine in high school in class, you know, like ceramics class where you had tables that were way off and you could, you know, or dropping acid. I was like, oh, yeah, didn't everybody do that? But no, people, <laughs> that turns out. But um, what ended up happening was I got into heroin when I was uh, 19, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it was, I was done. The one thing I couldn't control, in my mind. In your mind, In yeah. my mind. I, I, I had a handle on everything. Um, except, and then heroin actually, I, you know, it's the one thing that I um, really understood. I did not, I could not control this my, my use of this drug yeah which was it's a it's kind of disappointing actually you know and a little startling to be like oh shit you're fucked yeah, yeah. um and so i i that took me i yeah like about three years i used heroin pretty heavily for about two years and then it took me about a year to stop using heroin hmm. and uh Oh, since we're talking about bozos on the bus, I became a deadhead in the interim. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? So, um, in Northern California. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so, right. my friend's uh, older brother was a deadhead. Mm-hmm. And, and he was, like, super cool. So, this, was, this must have been when I was, like, 12 or 13. And so, got into the Grateful Dead at that time. And then became, you know. So, I spent a lot of my adolescent years... I didn't get to go see him until I was like about 15, but, um, 
you know, and so did that. And that, that was a heavy drug thing as well. Of course. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but when you quit drugs, you don't have to quit the dead, which is It's nice. true. It's, it's true. It's really nice. It's so, it's so true. And of course, there's always Burning Man. <laughs> there's always Burning Man. You know, my son has gone to Burning, to the last two Burning Mans. Has he? Yeah, I've never been. No. I, have, but, I haven't either, but my daughter, Susan, works them. Uh, oh, she does she? She works Shade, yeah. Yeah. The Shade crew is she, what she's on. Like literal Shade? Yeah, that they put up all... Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. She, she goes in a month beforehand and yeah. works, and once it starts, she pulls back and yeah waits for cleanup or resto is what they call it oh yeah yeah which is restoring yeah, yeah which is re- restoring i mean yeah. they literally go through and take all the glitter out of the the clay it's it's, it's just inc- that sounds remarkable. impossible it sounds impossible <laughs> i think that's why they spend a month there you know yeah, yeah. and you know they're consuming and imbibing along yeah. the way yeah um anyway he's really had a good exp- yeah he's liked it but so when I graduated from high school here in Utah, I moved back to California, but I moved down to San Diego, um, which is that's where I actually got into heroin was yeah. down there. Yeah. Um, I had this neighbor, this very beautiful neighbor, young woman, and we became friends and she was an she was a heroin addict. She was a heroin addict. Yeah. And she kind of had this, uh, she was of this very wealthy family that she came from and you know she had this it was really nice bmw convertible bmw anyway but so um and i did this thing where i was like sounds very exciting daniel it was <laughs> at that age i was quite taken by I bet, her i bet yeah and uh, nice car nice nice, nice car. woman we lived and, and we, it was great i lived right by the beach and it was really a god it was such a that's a fantastic place to live i lived in encinitas which is yeah, yeah i'm sure you know I don't know if you know that area. Oh, yeah. My daughter, my other daughter, you know, just moved back to Utah from two or three years, three years down there. Yeah. So. Um, And, uh, yeah. And so I started, that's where I started to use heroin. And I was moving back to Utah. So this was my, I had a scheme. I was going to. Get a plan? Try heroin there in San Diego. Uh So this is like some foreshadowing. Like I, you know, I was, I. I had some sense of how dangerous that was mm-hmm. or heroin is. Right. So I, I was like, I'm moving back to Utah in a couple of months. Mm-hmm. I had been down there for about four years or whatever. They use heroin. I, you know, we're friends. I'll try it a mm-hmm. few times and then I'll move. <laughs> I'll be good. Yeah. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be away I'll from just, it. I'll just, you know, <laughs> and so, um, cause there's, there's no heroin. As in, I, in yeah. Utah. Well, as I look back, I mean, it's just like, it's like, what is my, not what are we doing on how are we doing there yeah um my unconscious trying to tell me I, you, this is really dangerous here you know the fact that you want to try this and then move so it doesn't get you kind of a thing um and i had never really been around addicts except for this this group of people that was and they were they were we were they were our neighbors down there um but I, uh, if I leave the pause in there, it's because I was pouring tea. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Oh, this is a little, yeah, darker. It gets sweeter too, which is what's fascinating. That's really good. Isn't that interesting? I don't drink tea much. Well, I, st- I started doing those tea ceremonies, and it turned me on to, s- especially some of these these old old teas. You'll have to tell me about the tea ceremonies. Yeah. I don't, I don't know much about that. 
But so I use heroin a little bit. It's kind of magical. In fact, it's incredibly magical. It's like, whoa. You know, it's like, uh, you know, like, wow, this is, this is all right. <laughs> this is, this it's, is, it's I, that, it's that nice warm blanket I'm, feeling. I'm home. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then I always, for me, as in hindsight, and as I, as I have, you know, um, transitioned out of that kind of thing with, with opiates in particular, I, it, I realized how much pain I was in. Because that's what that was all about for me. Right. Was, you know, it's a painkiller. Yeah. And I, that's... Literally. Know, literally, literally a pain a literal, yeah. our best painkiller. Yeah. You know? And um, and just looking at my addiction to uh, heroin and all of that, really understanding, and my life at that time and before that, uh, you know, how much, you know, pain I was in. Um, and uh, so I, I do my my scheme... I, I it works. I use some heroin there, and I move. How are you using? Were you smoking, needle, snorting needle? needle? Yeah, you, I never right to IV, right to the needle. Yeah, because I mean that's how they were using it. Yeah. So and this girl, man, it was such a. Anyway, I, I probably shouldn't get into too much of talk about an under undeveloped uh, psyche. As I look back, it was very childlike kind of. She would put these little stickers, like Hello Kitty stickers, mm-hmm. you know, on on. Okay, this one's your. This is your needle. This so, is yours, and they were stickers on them. And so she you knew you knew who's you knew whose were yeah. hers, but it was like this very childlike kind of a thing. A childlike kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So she, it, it, you know, you at the time. It you know I I look back on it as you could just unpack it to death right it's just such an such a such an interesting kind of weird thing but yeah these little Hello Kitty flower you know and she it was like we were playing with toys yeah and she and she was this is a, a woman who you know again very wealthy family mm-hmm. and had been in lots of treatment programs and um uh but she was very very childlike. And um, it, it is it's never progressed past yeah, a certain really, age of development, right? You know, total so, dependent. Yeah, total dependent. So early to, adolescence, yeah, probably. early adolescence, and um, and she, yeah, she used to draw me pictures, coloring, color pictures, and like coloring, mm-hmm. really an interesting kind of a thing. Um, and and so that was the first time I used. Uh, we used heroin. She had like, remember the four needles lined up, and and they, you know they had a sticker, and this one's yours. And um, again, the danger factor of uh, I mean, I have no idea where that needle even came from. Right. Because um, well, in California, was... it was harder to get. It was really easy to get needles here in Utah. It was harder to get yeah. them out there. But so anyway, I move. I, not not use... anymore. <laughs> Can you get they, needles they, here? They, not, no, I mean it's hard. It's still sometimes hard here because there's, as you know, I think that you know there's this the needle exchange programs um, by some of the old fundamental purists. Uh-huh. You know, believe that we're helping people get high, which is true. Yeah, uh, but you know, the idea of a safe injection site or needle exchange is still a little bit. Even though everyone knows that it's probably the healthiest way yeah, to go, the harm reduction yeah. part yeah. is yeah. that's clear. That's yeah. been shown. Yeah, it it works, right. cuts disease down, and um, mm-hmm. you know, especially sexually transmitted diseases. Right. Besides the the big ones like Hep C, right? HIV. It's a hardy virus. Yeah. The Hep C. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, anyway. And so I used a few times there with her and a couple of other people. Like her, she had this friend kind of, again, these two were like, they were like, they were childhood friends. And it's like they were, had never kind of grown up. Hmm. And not just in a, like, they acted like adolescents. They were childlike. Yeah. Um, and, but I, and so I moved back to Utah and I skied all, it was, I moved back to Utah, I think it was September, mm-hmm. skied all season um, up at Alta, and uh, and I was working in a restaurant and skiing every day kind of a thing, which was glorious. And um, my good friends from Utah started to use heroin in, the, in that spring. I go to my buddy's house and they're, you know, being all clannish. You know, I was like, what's, what are you guys doing? Oh, this. And I was like, oh. And I had told my one friend about what I did. Uh-huh. And he said that kind of got, you know, kind of worked on him a little bit. Oh. And he... he um, Planted a seed, so to speak. Yeah. And he... Yeah. Exactly. And he... So they started using... This was in Salt Lake back when you could drive to Pioneer Park and pull up to the curb and 10 guys would come up. I mean, it was just like buzzing. There was so much heroin i mean anything you wanted really mm-hmm. i don't know if you remember the scene i don't know if you're ever in in saw that or anything like that but it was it was oh, at pioneer park yeah it was fantastic it was like spectacular how much drug traffic was there. No, it was like no, astounding I mean, it, it, was the, it was the farmer's market of drugs yeah you would pull up and it was just like the couple of guys people comes to your would, car yeah and, at yeah. least three or four or five or six dudes would be like come and then whoever kind of like they had their system whoever yeah. kind of like it was like catching away. Whoever was at, on the inside got to drop, you know, got yeah. to go. And once someone was at your window, no one else usually crowded yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I, I went there just a couple times. I didn't yeah. do it a lot, but yeah. a couple times, and that was get those, kind get of those little balloons of cocaine. Yeah, get was the what, bal- yeah. yeah, balloons. And then you know, you that's the place. You, whenever your connection got busted, you don't, you know, you go back to the park until you get another connection. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so then we start, you know, started using. Heroin, <laughs> and I—I I should say, we, you know, in 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 junior high, high school, I had also taken a lot of painkillers. When I was, it was like right after I moved here, I cut my leg with a chainsaw. What? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I lucked. I mean, the fact that I can walk and all that and have no problems mm-hmm. was just because this chain was chainsaw was so dull, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason that that what happened happened because mm. they, they couldn't get the, the branch wouldn't go through. And then it like finally broke off. Yeah. This thing couldn't even cut butter, but my leg just grazed the top of it. Oh, so they give me codeine mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh, you know, and then I kind of discovered opiates that way. Mm. Uh, and so whenever we could get our hands on blue, spe- like Laura tabs, you, you get some blue specs, you know, my mom, you know, we were, you know, we were scavenging and someone's mom would have surgery or someone would have surgery. And one of my buddies used to go have surgery so he could get painkillers, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm getting a soldier, shoulder surgery. I can't wait. It's right. going to be, you know, it's like, fuck. Um, and, uh, yeah, such crazy shit. Yeah. It's totally yeah. crazy. And he, anyway, so I, I start using and I'm using, of course I loved it. I love heroin, mm-hmm. you know, and um, or I did then. I don't know. I don't love it now. I know that, um, but of course, it does what it does, and it's for me. It was just, it was just wonderful. Yeah, 
Well, it's a relationship. Um, I mean, that's how I always looked at my my relationship with cocaine. I saw this as I had an intimate relationship with this drug, and yeah. you know, we we it was almost romantic in a way. You know, yeah, I I it heroin had like this. I mean, for me, it was a very specific function. Mm-hmm. You know, I liked to use heroin to get going mm-hmm. to go because i have the way i respond to heroin is it gets it gets i go up you go I, up. Yeah. yeah i i'll i'll nod too but i don't i'm not the kind of i or i wasn't the kind of heroin addict that would use and nod because it 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 um it's probably like an add thing you take a stimulant yeah you know so it i have whatever my biology is that like it got me going. Mm-hmm. So I, which I think was an, adv- in one way, kind of a, an advantage is that, so I, I could use, I didn't need to keep you, you know, I, anyway, I would use to, to get, to get going. Yeah. And then of course, and it wasn't like I was using to get going cause I was like tired or, you know, or down or something like that. But I felt so good. Mm-hmm. It's like hypomania. Mm-hmm. Right. You feel you're just like at the the sweetest spot, and you can you can, you feel so good, and everything's so clear, and it's like, um, it's like you know like an amphetamine thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I, uh, I get a habit, on but I didn't know I had a habit until I didn't <laughs> until use. You, stopped. <laughs> right. you know, um, and I just remember that. Like, you know, I thought, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, my chest is on, you know, <laughs> on fire. Um, what are withdrawals? <laughs> yeah. And um, I call my buddy and he's like, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I. Uh, You've I never had, had seen, withdrawals before this. I'd never had withdrawals. Okay. Well, I'd never been physically dependent on yeah. anything. Right. You know, I'd smoked weed every day for years mm-hmm. i probably smoked weed every day for like 10 years mm-hmm. so i was still smoking weed then too and i drank really heavily but um i had not been dependent on anything mm-hmm. um or and i had never quit anything like i didn't i never quit smoking weed to have any kind of a you know prolonged withdrawal right and we know what happens now when you you know it just takes months and months with that shit with yeah. weed um yeah. That you, you know, where you have whatever you have, uh, when you stop using it, the withdrawal or, um, well, the marijuana today is a lot different than it was 20, yeah. 30 years ago. Well, and I think that, like, um, I actually was talking to one of the doctors where I work, a psychiatrist, about, mm-hmm. you know, when you stop smoking weed, and there, it, it, that is a very prolonged process. So true. You know, so true. Um, and people, you know, you quit for 30 days. That's really just the beginning, yeah. you know. Um, and you just, you know, so you don't you don't kind of feel quite right. Like any of these, like heroin or, mm-hmm. or any of these drugs, it's like the, the time it takes to kind of um, get back to whatever homeostasis is, you know, a baseline. Mm-hmm. If you get back there, right? Now right. we know you, a lot of people don't get back there, which right. is why, you know, once the, re, you know, the reward pathway is established that way and... You know, like the woman I was talking about before we started this. Who, you, it's like you're you're talking to an addicted brain at that point, and then so I so I was 
And how I got... Well, you're right. In homeostasis, when the brain's addicted to a a chemical is, you know, I've got to maintain that level or else, you know... Right, which looks really crazy. Give me the fucking drugs, right? Right. I mean, the brain's yelling, screaming, give me the fucking drugs. And and, yeah, and it looks really crazy, Mm -hmm. but that it's just the brain doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah, what it's wired to do. It's it's actually totally functional that way. Um, But, and so I, so I, of course, I really liked it. And I thought, (laughs) and I still was under the uh, illusion that I... Um, that I I had it under control, mm-hmm. and so I used pretty much for like a year, and then uh, I was like, oh, this is you know. And then it, it it's was, and then I started to think about well, maybe I need to stop this, and then I couldn't, and then I was fucked, and and the way I used was um, I had a you know I had a job, I. Uh, my my habits tended to be pretty manageable. I think the most I ever used kind of a day was not more than like a gram or something like that. That was like a lot. You know, that was the mm-hmm. biggest that my habit ever kind of got. And that was actually, let me backtrack. I had ho- horrible habits at times. Like that's a lot of hair. As I think about it, that's like a lot. Yeah, that's but, that. You know, I mean, I was going to say that. That's a nice minimization. Yeah, right? yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I was only using the gram. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but overall, you know, it's like anyway. So I I I I was and I was working. I was a waiter, and I made, was making good money, so I could kind of like support your habit. Support my habit, and oddly enough, like it was when I couldn't kind of pay my bills anymore, and uh, when it was getting in the way of like going to dead shows and stuff like that, which I really like to do. Uh-huh. And also another thing for me is when I couldn't ski anymore. Uh-huh. I tried to ski on heroin. Have you ever tried to ski on heroin? I'm not a heroin guy. Yeah. No, it, yeah it's yeah. like, it's not really, a, it doesn't really work. You know? And by then I was, I was pretty, you know, I had been strung out for so long that uh, my body was deteriorating. Right. And I was, you know, well, really and, and, thin and, and fatigue. And, went, and when you yeah. stop, the fatigue lasts for weeks, if not months. Yeah, for some and so I, I remember, you know, trying to ski and just stopping every couple of turns, like huffing and puffing. And I smoked a lot. You know, smoked a lot of cigarettes mm-hmm. um, at that time too, which is something I never really got addicted to. But man, cigarettes and heroin were pretty good together. Not the same thing with cocaine. Yeah, cocaine I substances. The only time alcohol, I really yeah. smoked was when I was yeah. using cocaine. So. Um, and I, so I was, I used, so I, uh, as I started to think about, you know, stopping, you know, meanwhile, the crew of people that I was started using with mm-hmm. are having a lot of problems. You know, people are ODing, people are going to rehab, people are in the hospital, people are in jail, you know, the same, you know. I had probably five or six friends and we were all using heroin together. Um, like two of those, three of those guys are dead now. Mm, the other ones are alive. You know, it, not no, everyone, it. Yeah, you, know, you know how that goes. Well, yeah, I mean, the people that I went through treatment up at St. Penn's or it's now mm-hmm. Ogden Regional um, back in 94 or 5 and they're only, I mean, last time I, I checked, which was a few years back, there were only out of the sixteen people that were probably there during that time. Only three were alive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same deal. Uh, yeah. So, I'd be one of those three, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And I. Um, 
Yeah, my best, my closest friend, and he ended up shooting himself. Um, and he, he, you know, we kind of got kind of clean at the same time, and he never really. Uh, he was always using something. Never got something. over. Never got over the yeah. Hump, so to got speak. his steroids, you know, and that actually fucked him up because he had a steroid induced psychosis, yeah, and he just... after he he never came back from that. Yeah, he ended up shooting himself because he couldn't. He couldn't use enough hair. He couldn't OD. It was really... He was one of those people that had the monster and monster habits and that he would shoot... You know, he would do a a lot in one shot. And Most people don't realize how serious steroids are. Uh, as far as drug oh, use, I would use and, and I would the, use heroin over steroids. Yeah, but I mean, most most people that you talk about steroids and they they think about things like road rage and, and you no, know no, and, no. and roid it rage and those kinds of up. things. But the, it's not that's what such, it does to the brain yeah. is 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 just remarkable. it's kind of like akin to meth. Yeah, I think in terms of like the damage that can happen in a short amount of time and the psychosis that can yeah. be a, a and so he a byproduct you know, he had a, he had a full on psychotic break. Um. And about a year later, he shot himself because hmm. he was so he he just couldn't he couldn't not use, and he couldn't and his psyche was fractured hmm. in a particular way. And coping skills and he were was gone just totally in, in despair. Yeah, yeah. and uh, a death of despair. Which yeah, and I I had I remember I got this call from his father, and he said all of my money. And all of my Xanax and my gun are gone. Will you go check on Nick? Mm-hmm. This is his name. So he had just moved his dad, and it, it's the 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 father story in this is is the is where that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. But I won't get into that. Um, but he. Um, so I, he had just moved into a new place. And the reason I say the father's story, his dad had, his dad had, um, it was one of those things I think you've probably worked in addiction long enough that, that you, you see a relationship that actually kind of escorts an individual to death. Yes. Yeah. Right. And the dynamic is such that it, the, the, it facilitates this like death march. Well, it's, or it, it facilitates into a deep despair. Mm-hmm. Which often the result is yeah. is overdose or, or suicide. Well, what I'm, yeah, I mean, I think for the that that's there, but the 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 relationship dynamic is such mm-hmm. it was abusive, and so the father, it's you know people do things that that just perpetuate the behavior, mm-hmm. the feeling, the dynamic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I go over and I can't get into his... I'm knocking, knocking, knocking. Can't get in there. So I go to the manager. I'm like, listen, I think my friend is in bad shape. Can you let me in? I talk to the He's like, I can't. I, anyway, talk him into it. He lets me in there. And my, he's out on the floor, right? Wake him up, wake him up, or try to wake him up. And, you know, I get him up. And by this time, he's like going in his neck and stuff. And there's blood on his neck and all that kind of thing. And so... um, uh, And I'm... Dude, I'm like, listen, let's go here. Let's go. I just, I give him everything I got as far as like, why don't we do something about this? Because mm. I was clean at that point a few years. No. Oh. Um, and then, and he's like, no, no, no. And he's got like, I don't know, 
a couple grams of dope, you know, sitting around and um and he won't I'm you know, kind of pleading with him he won't go and um he uh and so I leave and then I got a call a couple hours later, about 2 hours later, and he said, "Have you seen Nick? Do you know where he is?" He said that he got in a head-on collision and he left his car and we can't find him. Um, and he, you know, this is right out here on like uh, Highland Drive by the freeway by 215. Mm-hmm. Not a serious accident, just kind of knotted out probably. Yeah. Hit a, hit a car. Ran into something, yeah. And what the people said was he got out of the car, went and said, is every, everybody okay? And they were fine. And then he just took off. So we, no one knew where he was for like three days. And then, um, and he was a big Alta guy. Great skier. Fantastic skier. Uh-huh. And um, worked at the Rustler for several years. He was just, and he was a monster skier. God, he was a fucking spectacular skier. But he, uh, the reason I say this is because, and he loved Alta. Um, like three days later, they found his body. He had gone. There's a drainage ditch over there kind of by that 7-Eleven, if you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, And there was a um, a ski, and, and there's an out, some, I think it was a ski school or some Alta guy found him. Hmm. Was walking his dog with his kid. Mm-hmm. Oh. And he had shot, you know, he had shot himself. Um, and uh, so he, yeah, and it was, it was fucking awful. Sounds just horrible. It, it was yeah. also a thing, like, he had probably been hospitalized for overdose or some kind of a pro- problem. He was in the ICU like t- twice that year. It was one of those deals. It was just the wreckage was just yeah really crazy. Anyway, so what? One of my friends that, that didn't that died as a result of these things. But I um I had been clean. I was clean at that time, and I ended up going to treatment and. Um, I ended up going to treatment in night. I went to I went to uni and I detoxed uh-huh. in 1995, and I went to a treatment center in Indio, California, because my uncle was in recovery and he lived in Palm Springs. Okay, so I went down to stay with my uncle in Palm Springs. He's like, "Hey, there's this place," and it's a cat was a county funded program. It was like a shit show, um, but it's well. It's actually a well regarded program. This the guy who ran it was this just recovery character like you can't even his name was Danny Leahy and he had been 86th from the city of San Francisco in like the in like the late 50s or early 60s mm-hmm. they're like you can't be in the city right. it's a hard city to get kicked out yeah right because so, yeah, because there's that's you know renowned for its uh, what do you call it anyway um, and I was there for like five months but it was basically just like a halfway house People start using, there's heroin, so I start using again, and I leave, and I come back to Utah, and um, a really dear friend of mine, Lynn Whitesides, who is still a dear friend of mine, who was a babysitter of mine in Sonoma when I was little. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lived here in Utah. Which is how I met you, by the way. With Lynn. Yeah. 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 I've known her since I was three years old, Mm. and so she uh, and her husband... Her former husband was a doctor. Mm-hmm. And I was in withdrawal one time, and I was like... Because I did this thing where I would get a habit, mm-hmm. kick, stay clean for a day or two, get another habit, kick. I mean, it was just like t- torture. Yeah. 
just really stupid, awful. Crazy, and, crazy cycle. Yeah, you just know that. Crazy it's, it's not an unusual cycle. It's kind of awful to live through, but in. Um, and anyway, so I, I wanted something for withdrawal, so I went to see him at an Instacare where's, where he's working. And like he, Lynn tells it like uh, like a couple weeks later, she's like, oh, yeah, Daniel Henderson came in. He's, he's on heroin. Mm-hmm. And so I get this call from her, and she's like, um, she's like, why? She has me come over. Mm-hmm. She's like, what are you doing? What's going on? And she something, said something very kind of profound at the time. Mm-hmm. And she had no experience working with addicts. She has lots of it now because she's kind of gone in that direction. Right, yeah. She's a great right. life coach now. But she uh, she said, well, maybe you're not done. So I, I had left her house and wasn't used again. But she, as I was trying, still trying to get clean, she took me to a peyote ceremony. Mm-hmm. And I went in there with, um, I, my, I, again, I was chipping at the time. And I went in, and 12 hours later, I came out, and I haven't used heroin since. And that was in 1996. Hmm. And I I just had an experience there that um, hmm. it was, you know, I, I had a, uh, what do they call it in the in AA? Um, spiritual awakening. Yeah, spiritual a, awakening, A cathartic yeah. experience. Yeah. I was actually talking to that, that psychiatrist I was mentioning earlier. Um who is open to like psychedelics as a um, form of recovery. And mm-hmm. the way she talks about it is it, it resets the brain in a particular right. way. Yeah. And I, boom, I it was, it was gone, done. Which is similar to the kind of why they're using ketamine for depression. Ketam- yeah. The same kind of thing because yeah. it does a reset on the brain yeah. the, the, with the doses. But um, those, the natural hallucinogens like peyote mm-hmm. um, or ayahuasca. Mushrooms, mushrooms ayahuasca. Yeah. San Pedro, uh, that kind of San stuff. Pe- yeah. yeah, seems to have an effect in that way. And you probably don't know this, but that, I, that that's what I did too. Um, ah. I did treatment as well, but b- before I went into treatment, the deal was is to go do a uh, yeah. peyote ceremony, um, which is around the same time. Yeah. It, and and uh, that was the last. Did we time. do it with the same people. What? I wonder if we were doing it with the same people. Um, Mr. Moon? Yeah. Yeah. That guy. <laughs> James? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was the kind of thing. And I did a bunch of those, but really it was one of those things that like, it, I, that was a, I could have done a, it was a one and done. Like yeah. it, I walked out of that without an addiction. Yeah. And. Rew- I, rewired your brain. Just yeah. Like that. And uh, I don't know how to, you know, you can explain it in mystical ways. You can explain it in biological ways yeah. or however. Um, but it was certainly helpful. Sure. Well, it's the same Sa- kind save of... Save my ass. It's the same kind of idea. And I, I talk about this quite a bit on here sometimes. Is the notion of what a vision quest is supposed to be, right? Right. This idea of that in a peyote ceremony or what some people call it a, a medicine ceremony. A lodge, yeah. Yeah, medicine or a lodge, lodge. yeah. A medicine lodge. That That is the idea. It's it, it, to be a healing ceremony. Well, it's a... You know, in that tradition, it's a prayer ceremony. Yes. People have said, oh, that's a drug. And it's like... That's it, it. It's just a cactus that's been around long before the DEA ever sure. scheduled drugs, right? No, you I, know, you and I, I know you're steeped on, in this that shit. This. And I, um, there, there are plenty of people that listen to this podcast, though, that don't think that way. 
They they think a drug is a drug is a drug, and they don't they don't yeah. necessarily see any anything that you know that uh, being sober is you know eliminating all drugs, which yeah. is kind of impossible. I guess you could eliminate sugar, you know. I had to do that once sugar in a while. Sugar is probably the worst drug we yeah. have. Yeah. I, really. I, not I, to, I, and I'm not like a new naturalist. You know, you know what I mean? It's, sugar's yeah. awful for you. Yeah. And and I, I, I detox. I do sugar detoxes a couple times a year. So I've never done one of those. Feels good. Feels good. I am kind of moving more vegetarian mm-hmm. in my the, what I eat nowadays. Which is, I think, a healthier thing for me. Uh, I don't know that I would ever be like a full-on vegetarian, but maybe. Yeah. Do you want some more tea? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I can pour. I mean. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Is that allowed? Yeah. Of so course. Like, yeah. Of course, man. Have to pour. Oh my gosh! You don't know. Are you? I mean, I don't. Yeah, you're good. You're so proper. I don't, I don't know. No, no. The tea ceremony. The tea ceremony. Um, you don't touch the tea. You just sit there, and it's all in silence, and the other person serves you. That and, sounds wonderful. And it goes on for about an hour, hour and a half. It's really beautiful. Wow. Okay. So um, you were telling, uh, uh, before that little break, you were telling, um, you know, that you had just kind of s- switched over your diet, and you kind of thought about becoming a vegetarian a little oh, bit, oh, and yeah. that, that right, kind of thing. Right. and. And, and, but let, let's go, let, let's kind of, tell us. That's actually mostly related to the planet for me. Yeah. Is, pro, is, is more, more than my physical health. That's yeah. more about um, what's, you know, the planet. I totally understand you know that. I mean? you, you and I are probably like-minded in, yeah. in many ways on that. So you, you now have a, you know, you, you work in this field now and, and, uh, and have been for a while. Yeah. I mean, 2001 is when I started yeah. working in this field. Yeah. Um, and, and you and I about the same time, actually this field anyway. Yeah. Um, that was, uh, uh actually had been, I'd probably already been at, uh, recovery bridge working, for a while. Where? At recovery bridge is the recovery first place bridge. I worked. Is yeah. that Joe, uh, Joe Boberg's yeah. yeah. place? Yeah. yeah. You were working in a coca field before that, and I was working in a poppy field. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've always wanted to chew coca leaves. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like it would be kind of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> I feel like I do the same thing fun. with coffee anyway. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I don't... I, I, my because I see my I, I I see that there I had a relationship and so it's like that's would be like going back to an, yeah. a, an old girlfriend or an, yeah or an, right or, right no or, I got you I got yeah you. so and I I didn't I certainly liked cocaine well mm-hmm. enough but I didn't it stimulants like that were not my, wasn't your thing my biology likes something different you know and I yeah and I had shot cocaine a few times and that is a fucking awful experience. Never did that. Oh God, don't. Never did that. It's, not, no, it, it's I'm, like I'm, I'm, it's I'm, like I'm done with that. Yeah, there's a darkness in that that um, I didn't experience. That there's just a darkness yeah. in that. I was like, whoa, I'm, I'm, I don't like that. Well, and that, that's one of the interesting things about um, sobriety is that you know you, you we talked about this and I I could just you know I, I really only smoked when I um, when I used cocaine. But sometimes, um, but after I got sober, I kind of smoked on and off for a while. And one day I just kind of went, I was driving in my car and I just 
opened up the window and I said, that's the last cigarette I'm ever going to smoke. Yeah. And that was the last cigarette I ever smoked. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I, the, the, this relationship with substances, as it, as I think as we, you know, we explore what's true for us, you know, and, and what's what's real, the the transcending of those addictions yeah. becomes almost spontaneous. Yeah. And I and I I worked I with um, I worked with a woman at at uh, um, I can't remember Bobby's last name, but. She told me something, and it still sticks and resonates for me today, and I, I use it. I use the line, is that um, healing is spontaneous from any addiction once there's no longer a payoff for the behavior. Uh. And which is kind of like another way of saying, once you identify what your secondary gains are, uh-huh. you can pretty much change anything if you want to. So I, I, I get that. Well, so tell us, tell, tell, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do now? Okay, so what do I do now? I so I'm a um, social worker, and let's see, an LCSW. I'm an LCSW. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because I I I always identify myself as a social worker, uh-huh. um, and it there's a, it's a curious response to that. Um, not you know you I appreciate you clarifying my like yeah. degree well because I have a bachelor's in social work and right. it, it's part of who I am right I, I don't yeah I, I don't deny that part no. of me because I do look at things through that that lens I to- yeah I totally do yeah. I totally do I think and there was a lot of experiences in my like growing up in my childhood and being you know for me there's there's a relationship with um the shadow, my own shadow. Yes. And I think social work picks that up. Yes. Pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is, it's like one of our responses to that, you know, as a collective, uh, as a culture. Yeah. You know, it, it can look a little do-gooder-ish, but it is, it is an availability to have a relationship with people who are uh, in the shadow yeah. in, a, in a particular way. Yeah. So, and uh, shadow is a much better way of, of saying wrestling with your demons you know right, doing right. your shadow work or you know the shadow part of ourselves it's yeah. a, it's a it's a much more holistic and responsible way to look at it yeah. it's also talks about us dealing with something that's part of us instead of you know a demon which is something we try to exercise right <laughs> well and i think it's a there's a collective shadow that shows up in those populations yeah. or those no doubt the the part of our so anyway, so I so I I worked I started working at a detox. So after I stopped using heroin and was clean for about 5 years, I um didn't like what I was doing. I had a like a landscape business and I was not happy in that. So I uh um looked in the paper and saw that the uh the, the Volunteers of America Adult VOA, Detox yeah. was hiring. So I went down there, and you had to have two years of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I was, I don't know, I was five years at that point. Mm-hmm. So I was in there, and, and I started working there. And I ended up working there for four years, which is still my favorite job that I've ever had. It was such a fantastic place to work. I love. I just loved it. Um, that and, is one of the most amazing places that is the the guts yeah. of detox. It's, you know, it's a little. I mean, it's it a used little, to be it used to be a mattress on the floor. Did they change that? 
I, I don't know. I think so. I think yeah. it's. I think. I know well, they remodeled the they, building. They remodeled and and they kind of did things a little bit different. Yeah. I don't think it's mattresses on the floor anymore. So this is what it was: the mattresses on the floor, right. whiskey flats. Yeah. And then you could move. Then you moved into a bunk bunk beds, which they called heroin heights. <laughs> and then there was like a couple of bedrooms that f- like four guys were in, uh-huh. which was were cocaine condos. <laughs> so there was the, that like what people caught both the staff and the. Um, residents would yeah. call it, yeah. but it was it was such a, uh, yeah, um, and and really no medications to help with the detox. No, we would unless um, there, unless, it was unless you came in with medication, yeah. we would um, we would hold the medication and observe you taking it. We didn't dispense. Right. I mean, there's a lot of the um, the licensure. What it allowed sure. was right. very specific, like that. Uh, but mostly people were coming in. And just kicking, mm-hmm. or going through alcohol withdrawal, or sleeping off cocaine or meth, um, and you know, ninety nine percent of the people are indigent, right? And so um, it was just a. I mean, I, I always feel really fortunate to have to be to have been able to work there. And have relationships with the people that I did there, mm-hmm. you know, the, both the residents, mostly the residents, the people yeah. that worked there were great too. But I mean, it just, it is, uh, so I have always had that in, in me when I was growing up, my father worked in San Francisco. How much time do we have? We're good. He worked in San Francisco for about 20 years. That's where his office was. So we spent a lot of time in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And he lit, He worked right by Union Square, if you know where that is. Mm-hmm. So it's just a couple blocks up from Market Street and mm-hmm. the Tenderloin. Tenderloin. And so we, my mom, as she discovered this, she, she didn't really like it much. But when we were like six or eight or ten, all those years, we'd go with him to work. He'd take us one at a time. He'd give us $20 and he'd cut us loose. And we would go walk around in the city. You know, Union Square was right there, or yeah. we could take the cable cars down to like Fisherman's Wharf and stuff like that. We go down to Market Street, and so the scenery was is a pretty pretty interesting um, tapestry. Yeah, tapestry. Uh, nice way to put it. In that it, yeah. city, because yeah. it's such a gnarly city, the 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 uh, like the shadow in that city is really um, pretty raw. You know. I still remember in like the eighties seeing this, this individual with the sign. This is when AIDS was just like, so it was either, it must've been the early eighties and this guy sitting on the side, I have AIDS, you know, and being like, what, holy shit, you know, cause having some knowledge of, of what that was. Right. But the, the homeless population there is, is robust, robust. you know, and the mental, the mentally ill population there is, is robust and so it was just uh uh and so i've always been like drawn to that those um you know that that people in that you know and i also had another experience when i was um five or six and we were at the sonoma the developmental center Mm -hmm. right by glen ellen you know right doing the special olympics and i had a this is probably the one experience there was a a, a woman and I don't know what disease she had but it's where the the head is enormous and mm-hmm. the body is really small oh, 
and so this is a per this is an invalid person they both deaf and blind this mm-hmm. this person was and i'm like five or six and i go and we're walking through and i go in there into this this area where where the some of the, the patients that couldn't come out and participate mm-hmm. were um and this and i'm little i don't know what's wrong with this person right but i know i mean their, their head is very enlarged but you two, know something's two, different. Two something. or three, yeah, it's obvious. Two or three times, elongated, very bulbous, yeah. and they're you know, um, mal- just deformed, mm-hmm. and, and the small body we can't really move. And she looks at me and starts crying, mm-hmm. right? And the guy says, and I and I'm right there because my I'm head high. I'm right, right. She's on a gurney, and I'm right at eye level. Uh-huh. And my dad had to tell me about this, like, right after. But I remember the feeling was, was beautiful. I was, it was like, oh, I, like, I, was cry- I started crying. She was mm-hmm. crying. And the guy said to my dad, he said, this, she is deaf and blind. She has no oh sense of she doesn't interact, she doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. and I had this moment with this person. You connected with them. That was was fucking amazing. Oh my god, it's you know yeah, makes no, me I cry now. And that 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 is so. There's something held true for you for yeah, so long. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, it's like we're talking now, but that ain't it, right? Yeah. That's not you know we can we can you know t- not to sound I don't know we our egos can talk all day. Yeah. But I, there was, it was just like, that's not what was happening there. That was a being to being experience. Soul which, to soul. Yeah. Something, yeah. whatever, yeah. however we call it. Yeah. And well, that's, so, that's that vulnerable, intimate connection. Yeah. That's, that's beyond sight and beyond sound. Yeah. And so, I mean, not to get too woo woo, but the idea of that, you know, it, it, being vulnerable and intimate with somebody yeah. in such a way that it's beyond yeah. words it's beyond yeah. the senses almost it's it's core it's in yeah that was there's something in me and something in this and she was a girl really but older than me mm-hmm. maybe like 10 or something cuz this is a person that their their life expectancy is right you know a decade if right. that you know right and they they've been in institutionalized you know and, uh, but there, yeah, that, whatever that, however we connected. And so that has always been with me. Mm-hmm. And that is actually, I think what the, informs what I do now sure. more than anything. Wow. I hope, I always hope that that's, that's always what I'm trying, trying to. You're striving for in some yeah, way. Yeah. Or, or, which I don't, I don't, it's not like I hold it consciously very often at all. I right. haven't talked about that actually probably for a long, long time, but I also know, but it's also like the, um, the recovery part, like the recovery, like the heroin addiction, like that we get to carry that with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's, that's in, that's there, you yeah. know? And so that informs, that informs what, you know, informs me and everybody I come in contact with, there's that that's in me. So yeah. if you come into contact with me, that's there. Yeah, and that actually is in, 
informs my work a lot too well and it's the whole story of it it's not just one piece of it one part of it it's the whole story of it from the start to the finish and how it transforms or even transmuted into something else that story you know like like all stories about recovery or sobriety or all the the ones that you know when we we transcend addictions it we become living more a more wholehearted life yeah. we, we we you know we connect to something within us that we know we can resonate with anyone with at any time if there's that ability to be vulnerable yeah and and, and there's not a lot of ego involved in that by, by all means yeah i don't think the egos yeah i don't think the <laughs> doesn't ego, work with the wholehearted part, of, part yeah. of that yeah. necessarily okay i got a question yeah so um, how do you in in what brings you joy in life? What what are the things that that uh, you know sort of settle you into a, a place of contentment? But what where do you find your joy and your bliss? Um, well, I think ever since that peyote experience, uh-huh. um, because th- that was the experience. Th- that is that so that's always been there with me now f- since then yeah so it's a living experience yeah, yeah. so i uh don't get me wrong i'm i'm as f- kind of stressed out and fucked up as anybody and i have you know whatever a <laughs> couple divorces and all that kind of shit i'll say this though going my first divorce was harder than getting off of heroin really yeah huh. i would say that for sure wow and that was an attachment thing. I was ferociously attached to this person. So a, de- a dependency uh, to a relationship. Yeah, right. for yeah. sure. Yeah. But, um, oh, and I hear that too. I mean, I've seen people, you know, try to, that, that are, you know, we used to use the word codependent a lot, but now we talk more about dependent mm-hmm. relationships, you know, in the sense of becoming so attached to someone that when they're, they're not there, um, they're, people go through withdrawals. Yeah. Oh, right, right. And it was, um, yeah, it was like a, uh, toxic drug kind of a thing um and so i but since that experience where i was able to go to that lodge and um and walk out go in with an addiction mm-hmm. and walk out without one my experience in there uh where i it was I know how it feels. It's hard to articulate. Um, but I, I'm good. Yeah. It's good. I'm yeah. good. Things yeah. are good. Yeah. And so that's there with me. So I, when I can, when I can, when I can hold that again, mm-hmm. I forget it all most of the time. Mm-hmm. Then that's probably where I'm like kind of the feeling the grooviest as it were and I, luckily i can even in in the middle of like chaotic hell that's there and so i can i i have that fortunately i i have that with me yeah all the time yeah but like as far as like the shit that i like to do um i spend a lot of time with my children which i really like mm-hmm. um and they're also they're 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 the they're you know how it is they're like the best the most fun and they're also the most aggravating <laughs> Um, and then I, I ski a lot and I, I spent a lot of time outside, uh-huh. which is, that's a lifelong thing. Yeah. Outdoor you're physical outdoors, movement. I have to be, uh, otherwise I'm a, I don't do super well. Yeah. I get, get depressed or anxious or mm-hmm. agitated. 
Yeah, nature nature is one of yeah. those key things. How yeah. do you um yoga, lots of yoga. You're a yoga guy. I'm a yeah. yoga person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a I wouldn't I'm I'm by no means a yogi because mm-hmm. all I do is the <laughs> postures. Right. Although I I actually kind of I do try I don't to live think my life. That's li- completely true. Yeah, I was going to challenge you. I, yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, I do live my life in a whatever the eight steps are, you know. Eight paths. Yeah, I mean, you got to be a good person. That's actually, and you're supposed to do all that shit before you ever do a posture. But that's not how we do it in America. Right. You know, but I I do, you know, I I try to be a reasonably decent person. I love socializing with people. That's actually something I really like to do. I like to go out. I like to have dinner. I like to be be with friends. I like to, you know do stuff like that um all right so what tell me about i'm going to expand this out just for a little bit for uh, a moment how how do you what are your thoughts and beliefs when it comes to god the universe faith hope uh higher power oh you know nothing we die it's a light switch baby (laughs) we worm food (laughs) worm food Uh, what are your thoughts about all that nowadays well it depends if I'm ever really scared, well, then I believe in God. Um, I love it. If, Thank you for your honesty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, but I have no, I don't know. So maybe I'm an agnostic that way. Yeah. I don't, be, I would, I can't say I'm an atheist. I would say I don't believe in God, but I, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine that there's some like humanoid type form <laughs> running things some deity of some sort but i would yeah. you know there's yeah that you know so i'm probably one of those people that believes or feels like I, i'm part of the cosmos yeah part of the universe well and it's a, there's some organizing right. principle at work um, well, God, God did. God was part of. I mean, the idea of God initially was it was part of us, and then you know a few thousand years ago, give or take a few hundred years, it got separated. Right? Yeah. I mean, they they said, oh no, God's separate from humans, and right. that's where the whole worship thing came in and yeah. kind of, you know, excuse my French, but kind of just fucked the whole system over yeah. when God got taken out of our existence. I do like how the Hindus do it in some ways where they have you know they got like 26 million gods yeah, right you know for uh, all kinds of sure stuff yeah um because i mean i think that's what it is that's the psyche you know you pr- you gotta have something to project onto i get that part of it yeah, yeah. And if it's god you know but i don't i that does i don't really think that there's a god yeah you know I but you. i don't know but i i would say there's no fucking god yeah is probably what I would say. All right. But some organizing um, principle. And I, I, I don't like, I did not have a good experience with religion. I don't like religion because, you know, it was like, a, it, I always, I've always experienced it as coercive. Yeah. And the way I am, it, I just, it doesn't, I don't tolerate that. Well, you were beaten well. over the head with it, it sounds yeah, like. And, and, yeah, and so there's, and it's, it's and there's a, authoritarianism uh, as well. It's paranoid. It, well, Not to true. offend your listeners who are God-fearing or whatever. Yeah. And then I, I don't like the part of it where it's like, if you don't have that, that somehow you're just going to be like a serial killer or something like that. <laughs> like, I, I actually think people are inherently, you know, not going to hurt each other if they can help it. Sure. You know? 
I'm also not naive because there's a lot of motherfuckers out there, and I was one of them. I've been yeah. one, you know. And well, that. and and you know, I mean, there are there are sociopaths and, and psychopaths mm-hmm. uh, that, that those people exist. Yeah. yeah, and and I'm I'm not above going there myself. Not, I would hope to think not like killing people, but like <laughs> being being a bad guy, being not a nice guy. Like I've certainly done that and do that. So. Um, well, if you want to just talk about you know living living through shadow, right? Yeah, that you know anything becomes possible in that right. darkness, right? Within ourselves, there's this. Uh, there's a, I can't remember the guy who wrote it, but I've, I saw him. The young group Society of Utah brought him here, and it's something like the shadow. It, it, well, anyway, it's about the shadow with addiction, and the mm-hmm. way he wrote about it, which I kind of liked, is this like, like. With addiction, it's like once you've gone there, then it then it's on the table for you. Right, right. So, because he's talking about like once an addict, always an addict, that kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the way he framed that is is like once that's on the table for you, then it's on the table. Mm-hmm. Right. So you 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 got to know that about yourself because you might go there. Sure. Like because you have that in you, and the more like I whatever live my life and stuff like that I mean I realize what I have in me and I realize that some of it's good and some of it's some of it's light some of it's dark some of, or good yeah. or bad or whatever some of it is conscious some of it is not the unconscious stuff tends to be the stuff that is you know um, gets acted out in the yeah. ways that we call you know that's bad or bad behavior or whatever yeah. um, alright um, one more question Okay. Okay. Is this the, right. the million dollar question? No, this is a good. This question is. Um, it's it's about music. So, oh. if if there was a couple songs that in some way, you know, let's say there was a life celebration for Daniel, and if there were a couple songs that you kind of feel represents your journey in in different oh, ways, oh yeah, and and uh, or you know that are have deep meaning for you what, what, what would those be what, what I would say Eyes of the World Eyes of the World do you know that song it's Grateful Dead Grateful Dead yes yeah. Eyes of the World Eyes of the World and what, that's why? a song that, that why Why? Um, I'll tell you well I, I love that song mm-hmm. and um, the reason why is how I feel when I listen to it that's so the reason it, why it's, it's, it hits oh, right yeah. your it core. hits me yeah uh, in fact, I, when I was the first time I ever, when I went to I went to detox at uni in 1995, uh-huh. and I had a tape, and I I was like not doing well, not uh-huh. feeling good, uh-huh. and I go into this little day room they had, and they had a little uh, boombox in there, uh-huh. and I put that song in on there. It's a um, it's a it's a very well it's actually the first Eyes of the World ever played at Maples Pavilion, which is at Stanford in 1973. Yeah, right. Uh, and but it just transformed. You know, I, I was like, you know, I chills, tears. You know, because I was raw at the time, and yeah. so I and I felt, you know, I felt great. I, I don't know, not it. It felt so good. Yeah, I wouldn't say I felt great, although I did feel great. Yeah. But it felt so good. So that that pulled you into your body. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Yeah. 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 What brought you yeah. into your body? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about another song. Um, okay. I, I love the dead. I fucking love the Grateful Dead. Yeah. So I, I listen. That's almost all I listen to. 
I do like like metal too. Certain metal songs, like old Metallica and what stuff a, what like a, what that. A interesting contrast. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, you know, I I like. Um, there's a song called Saxophone Colossus by Sonny Rollins. He's a saxophone player. Yeah, I know who Sonny Rollins. Yeah, Sonny Rollins. Is, yeah. That's probably that's one of my all-time favorite. I love that song. I fucking love that song. That's a great jazz riff. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's like, uh, no, the album is, the album is Saxophone Colossus. Saint Thomas is the song, the song that I I I heard it when I was little, and it's like boom, and it's just booming kind of. I like that kind of stuff because I'm I'm a like such a feeling type of person yeah, that it yeah. like. You know, mu- everyone feels music. Yeah, no, and I love jazz. I'm yeah, I, I like jazz. I love jazz too. But I, when I was the first music, I really was like, oh, I like this music was like heavy metal. Yeah. You know, when I was like in elementary school. You know, awesome. And so you know, like, um, what was going? Yeah, Iron Maiden. Yeah. Um, Judas Priest. Judas, yeah, Judas. That '80s metal stuff. When I was like 10 years old, Motley Crue, Shout Out the Devil, yeah. which was which was a one of my early acting I had it and I had to hide it from my parents and it was like, it was like real, you know that's funny um, uh, I, I love I, there's, I, but I, there's a lot, actually a lot of music yeah. that I like alright that was that's plenty enough that, that, thank you so oh, much oh yeah yeah no I, I'm so glad to do this yeah. alright man thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us I'm glad this worked out yeah yeah we uh, we've, we I'm glad we had some time just to kind of visit and you're a very gracious host yeah all right, so um, we will go out as we usually do with a little Joan Osborne. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. See